Well, tonight we find ourselves in Romans chapter 8. Uh, chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. Let's go ahead and read it. Welcome to those of you that are on Facebook Live. Uh, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus, because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, since it was limited by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own Son in the flesh, like ours, under sin's domain, and as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirements would be accomplished in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, come this evening, we once again thank you for the opportunity to look into your Word. And as we look at this, we recognize that between different versions and uh, things like that, uh, there's going to be questions. So give us grace to understand the answers and to see them from your perspective instead of just what we may see on a written page. Uh, open our hearts and our minds to uh, the truths that are here so that we may overcome uh, the flesh. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, let's uh, remember uh, Romans chapter 7. Uh, the first six verses basically dealing with uh, the idea that you were married to the old, and the old died, and therefore you're free to remarry Christ. Now you're associated with him. And uh, that's according to the law. It, it fits the law. Um, the second part of uh, Romans, uh, Paul talks about the purpose of the law in the sense of opening his eyes to his need, because as far as he was concerned, everything was good. And then the law said, thou shalt not covet, realizes that he's coveting, therefore having broken the law inwardly, not necessarily externally, um, he died. No, he was already dead. He just didn't know it. And then from 14 to 25, we see Paul expressing the uh, difficulty of sanctification. Uh, there is still a part of him in this unredeemed body that uh, doesn't always allow him to do the things that he wants to do. The things that I want to do, those are the things I don't do. Things that I hate, those are the things that I do. I find then there's a law in my members. It's called the law of sin. And uh, so as we enter into Romans chapter 8, notice our intro. Sin is so dominating that even after salvation, it influences and overpowers the believer. Uh, that's basically how we can summarize Romans uh, 7, 14 to 23, I guess, and uh, actually 25. But uh, as I pointed out last week, uh, Paul ends Romans 7, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then, with my mind, I myself am a slave to the law of God. Excellent, right? But with my flesh to the law of sin. Now, the reason why it's important to understand that Paul is recognizing in this body, because of this law of sin, there's failure. And I think the reason why it's important to recognize that is because it's very easy to preach that if you're born again, there ought to be a change. Now, we've already explained why there ought to be a change. You're a new creature. 
Uh, the old's past. Everything's becoming new. You have the law of God written on your hearts and on your minds. You have the Spirit of God living within you. And therefore, the capacity to do what God wants you to do is there. God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. How do we get to know Him? Well, we start by trusting Jesus Christ, but after that, how do we get to know Him? We're in His Word. How long have you been studying the Word and still haven't figured a few things out yet? Yeah, 41 years this year for me. Whole point being is, it's a lifetime experience where the flesh is still an influence. Uh, you know, pastor's talking this morning about, you know, get away from the screen, go for a walk, uh, you know, do something that has some eternal value instead of just sitting in front of the TV. Well, I grew up in front of the TV. You know how easy it is to sit in front of the TV? or on Facebook, or one of the other social media platforms. Whole point being is, um, it, it takes time. Normally, when God starts working on you, He works on those things that are really external and out there, right? Uh, you hear about people, they get saved, and they want to stop smoking. They want to stop drinking. They want to stop cussing. Well, when you've been saved for 40 years, most of that stuff's pretty well taken care of every now and again. No, I, I'm joking. <laughs> I, I'd say something and get fired or something. Um, but uh, whole point being is a lot of that stuff, the external stuff, it gets taken care of early. And then God starts working on the stuff that's in the heart. Not everybody knows about it. And not necessarily want everybody to know about it either. And that stuff seems to take a while. So sin is a dominating uh, influence. It even overpowers believers, even though we are supposed to change, and we should change, and everything is there so you can change. But when you've blown it, how do you feel? I must not be saved. God must not like me this week, or, or, or any number of other expressions. And uh, the reality is, is that leads us into Romans chapter 8. Notice, first of all, life in the Spirit, part one. Free from sin and death, enabled to fulfill the law. And the reason why that is important is because just because you're enabled doesn't mean you're always going to get it right. But the power to do so is there. So uh, let's start letter A, no condemnation. Uh, condemnation, first of all, shows that God is just. All men are guilty because of original sin, and are affected by the moral and spiritual depravity it produces. We've already gone through Romans chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Let me just read it for a moment. For if by one man's uh, offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace of the, and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Uh, so again, all we're seeing there is because of one man's offense, we're all guilty. Now, we're not guilty of the sin that he committed. That is his sin. But in every case of the sins that we commit, they're basically the same Thing. 
We're not trusting God's word. We're leaning on our own understanding, and we do something out of self-will instead of submitting ourselves to God. So uh, you may not be guilty of uh, Adam's sin, but you're guilty because of it, and therefore it continues to produce the same uh, results in your life. Letter B, all men are born with a twisted, evil nature. And again, we sit there and say, yeah, that kid down there in Texas that shot up all those kids in that school. That guy, I mean, I, I'm, I'm struggling with uh, disbelief because how many people have called it evil? Can we recognize something that if we're going to call something evil, that means that there is a moral standard whereby something is good, okay? And here's all these people that don't want God to be involved in anything, all saying it's evil, the reality is, is that man demonstrated that evil, but that same evil exists in every one of us as we are born. Uh, things that may determine whether or not you'll show that evil, that's another story altogether. Uh, Ephesians 2, 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And then let her see, all men are guilty of their own sinful acts produced by a depraved nature, Romans chapter 2, verses 6 and 8. 6 says, who will render to each one according to his deeds... And of course, 99% of the people come in here for benevolence think that they're pretty good people. And so therefore, heaven is almost a guarantee for them. Uh, but notice in the letter, number uh, verse 8, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but, ob- but obey unrighteousness, what are they going to get? Indignation and wrath. So all men are guilty of their own sinful acts. Uh, By the way, this is one of those areas where to understand your Catholic neighbor a little bit better. Catholics believe that Jesus died on the cross, right? They believe that he was God, right? They believe that he was raised again even though they leave him on the cross, right? Sure they do. So how come they're not saved? And again, doesn't mean that all Catholics are not saved, but if they're following Catholic dogma, Catholic teaching... Jesus died for Adam's sin. And now you have to do stuff to make up for your own sin. You need to confess it. You need to do the appropriate amount of Hail Marys, penance, and all that kind of stuff in order to get kind of back in good with God. And again, the only reason why I bring it up is because what do we have? We have a Savior that died for, yes, Adam's sin, therefore uh, take, took care of the old that's in us, but he died for every one of ours also, and uh, therefore uh, we got a pretty cool Savior. <laughs> okay, So condemnation shows that God is just. Uh, but verse uh, 1 says, therefore. Now, by definition, it is introducing a result, a consequence, or a conclusion. That's what the word therefore is therefore. It is a reminder, uh, oh, a reminder for all of us that verse and chapter divisions are man-made. You know, when Paul wrote the uh, letter to the church at Rome, he didn't put chapter 1, verse 1, brrr, verse 2, brrr. This, this was something that came along later. So when we go from 725 to 81, this is in the same paragraph or 
at least in the same letter, uh, no div- division in there. So those are man-made. And then notice uh, letter C, he is referring to his concern after his recognition of his condition. Remember verse 25? He says, so then with my mind, I myself will, uh, am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh, as long as I'm in this body, I'm still going to be a slave to the law of sin. I'm still going to fail. Yes, Larry. Mm-hmm. Exactly. In fact, I pointed out twice where when he says it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me, he's not trying to escape uh, personal responsibility. He's recognizing that there's still sin in him, but he's a new creature. And so he wants to do the right. He doesn't have the capacity to overcome the flesh in and of himself uh, to do that. So yes, he, he is taking personal responsibility. Okay, so, uh, therefore, there is now no condemnation. The word for condemnation is katakrima, uh, an adverse sentence or a verdict, uh, condemnation. It appears only here and in Romans chapter 5, verse 16 and verse 18. So, whole point being is this is a probably one of those words that Paul kind of put a couple of words together to make it stand for uh, what he was trying to communicate. It might be used in other Greek literature, but it's not used elsewhere in the Bible. But notice there is no condemnation. The word no there is udes, not even one, none, nobody, nothing. It's an emphatic uh, Greek verb, negative verb, and it carries the idea of complete cessation. When I, I, I've known, I memorized Romans 8.1, probably my first year of Bible college. And so therefore, I've known it for 40 years. But somewhere in the rush, along life's path, during the ebb and flow, when you're blowing it and thinking, man, God can't love me that much. I've really blown it this time. He's upset with me, waiting for the other shoe to drop and all that kind of stuff. Somewhere in the rush, as I'm looking at this passage, it's kind of like there is no condemnation. God's anger was taken care of toward my sin, toward my sin. The thing that I just did that I knew was wrong and did it anyway, God's anger toward that, it was handled on the cross. He's already showed forth that anger. He's not showing forth that anger toward me right now. What he wants is for me to return to him. Yeah. Lovingly return to him, humbly submit to him. Yes. Does that mean all the consequences aren't going to be there? No. God does chastise and there are consequences, but it's not condemnation. He loves us. Okay. So why? Well, though important and necessary, it is not because of Jesus's perfect words or his perfect life. Now, uh, his perfect life was necessary, but the reason why there's no condemnation is because of his perfect sacrifice in which the penalty, which is where the, uh, the idea of the word uh, condemnation, where the penalty has been paid in full. The condemnation has already happened. You know, when he's on that cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Uh, first of all, he says, my God, my God, something that he has never called God, at least within the revelation that we have in the Gospels. He's always called him my father, your father, our father. And then why have you forsaken me? Why are we uh, separated? And, uh, you know, Second Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for you and me. So he takes all of our sin, puts it on Christ. And why did he do that? When, when he's done that, they're separated. He's experiencing what we might consider to be hell at that moment while he's still physically alive. After three hours, turns back around, how do I know, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But why did he do that? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So it's through that perfect sacrifice. Letter B, why you're free. Uh, justification, verses 1b through 2. Now, uh, Notice it says, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So the no condemnation is only for true believers. Uh, someone who is a tear among the wheat, there'll be condemnation. Someone who sits here and listens to the message week after week, hears the gospel, and never uh, commits himself to the Lord uh, for salvation. When the rapture happens, they're going to come in on a Sunday morning saying, where is everybody? Hopefully they're going to be saying, hey, where is everybody? But uh, the reality is, is condemnation, uh, no condemnation is only for true believers. Notice, those that are baptized into his death and resurrection. Uh, Romans 6, uh, verses uh, 3 through 5. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And again, a lot of people want to put all that concept of being united with him in his resurrection up here in the future someday when we die, get raptured and all that kind of stuff. And within the context, uh, he's talking about a resurrected life that we're living now. Okay. So um, uh, we see anyone who's baptized into his death and resurrection. Notice uh, number two there, not simply identification with, but we actually become part of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 20, uh, 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Ephesians four sixteen. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Hmm. Going to have to examine that somewhere in a rush. Every part does its share. What, what's the old adage? About 20% of the people in the church do 80% of the work. Every part does its share. Ooh, something to think about there, but uh, we'll let the Spirit convict you on that one. It uh, goes on to say, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So again, we're talking about true believers, people that are part of the body of Christ. They're not just uh, identified with Him. They've actually become uh, so identified with Him that they're part of his body. <clears throat> Letter B, justification. This is one of the words that the Sparks learn, I believe, in Awana. 
okay? And one of the ways that we look at it is just as if I had never sinned. It actually means to be declared righteous. When a person is justified, they have been declared righteous by God. And of course, he doesn't uh, just say it for the fun of it. Uh, The idea is they are righteous. Therefore, they're uh, fully accepted by him. Notice justification, the subject of the previous seven chapters, completely and forever releases believers from sin's bondage and penalty. Uh, The second part we normally accept. Uh, Someday when I die, I'm not going to go to hell. But do we always accept that we've been released from sin's bondage? That's a tough one, isn't it? The reality is, is positionally we've been released. Okay? Now, what we do at the moment of salvation or shortly thereafter, running back to and continuing to do those things, oh yeah, those shackles uh, fit real good. Uh, But God will allow you to do that. Why? Because he's going to help you come to a point where you hate that so much, you're going to be crying out to him for freedom. And it's kind of like, I already gave it to you. You're the one that went back over there and put those things on, uh, that kind of a thing. But uh, the freedom uh, from the bondage is also available in salvation. Letter C, within justification is the imputation of Christ's righteousness. And again, that's God declaring, but God also looking at us in Christ and therefore sees we are righteous. Now, if you have a King James Bible, possibly even a new King James, it says there, uh, there, there is therefore now no condemnation uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You'll notice in the notes, I have it there. It's all in italics. Why? Well, let's look. This is not found in the earliest manuscripts. It is possibly, let's say probably, a scribal error where they were doing verse 1, they went down and wrote, and then came back up and looked at verse 4 and went down and wrote. Now, why do we say that? Well, let's look here. Consider what it is saying. Either there is no condemnation because of Christ and His finished work. That's how I would understand verse 1. Anyone who's in Christ because of what he has done, who he is, there's no condemnation. Or the second option is, it is dependent upon you walking according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Are you condemned as a Christian if you walk according to the flesh? Well, this gets kind of difficult here. Because what we're going to see over the next several verses is anyone who is walking according to the flesh is not saved. I'll explain that a little bit more next week, okay? We do know, according to Galatians chapter 5, that we can walk in the flesh, correct? So is there condemnation if you walk in the flesh? No, because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you walk in the flesh, that's one of those reward issues. Your life is to be a sacrifice unto God for whatever you do. And uh, someday you stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you're going to give an account for the things done in this body, whether they be good or worthless. If you're walking in the flesh, does that have any eternal value? So that's going to be like the wood, hay, and stubble. If you're walking in the spirit, does that have eternal value? That's gold, silver, and precious stone. Chuck. 
Yeah, and I, I'm I'm not disagreeing with you there. What do we mean by that? If you listen to some preachers, you should just be under all kinds of, oh man, I shouldn't be doing this. I don't know about you, but sin is pleasurable for a season. Then afterwards, depending on your spiritual sensitivity, afterwards you, you finally start feeling that conviction. You know what I mean? Um, so, And it's going to work differently in different people. So yeah, if you're walking in the flesh, there ought to be some conviction. I don't disagree. But let me see, what kind of voice does he speak in? Still small voice. Which means you actually have to be attentive. If you're walking in the flesh, are you attentive? Eh, probably not so much, huh? So that's why usually it's after you've had that pleasure that all of a sudden you've calmed down a little bit and you start hearing that voice and it's kind of like, you know, that kind of a thing. So, uh, but again, this concept of there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If we understand it the way the rest of the passage means it, there's no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus who are saved and not, not saved. I, I had a double negative there, so I'm not exactly sure what I said. <laughs> Whole point being is, if you're saved, if you're born again, if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. Okay, uh, we'll uh, see this walking according to the flesh and according to the spirit uh, later on in the chapter. Actually, from verses four through uh, uh, around eleven, and uh, you'll see it a little bit more clearly, Lord willing. Not next week, but the week after. Uh, hopefully, Pastor will have. Uh, something like Ezekiel 39 next week. Okay? All right. So uh, is there no condemnation because of Christ and His finished work or because we're doing it right? Uh, number three, four. He goes on in verse two. It carries the idea of because. It leads to the reason that there is no condemnation. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, what did chapter 7, verses 14 through 25 talk about? It talked about the struggle because of this law of sin in his members. So we can understand that this is somehow related. So let's take a look. First of all, we have the word law. It is used in the sense of a principle of operation, just like he does in chapter 3, verse 27, where it says, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? See, works are not a law, but it is a principle of operation. Okay? And of course, it goes on to say... Um, 327. No, but by the law of faith. Again, principle of operation. How about Romans 6 2? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer uh, in it? Uh, in, in sin, the law of sin again. Uh, and then 721, I find then a law that evil is present with, with me, the one who wills to do good. So the term law here is not talking about the Ten Commandments or uh, anything like that. It's talking about the principle of operation, uh, the law of the Spirit. It does not refer to the need for obedience. Okay? And notice, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Do you have to obey sin? No, not anymore. Okay? Uh, so are you expected 
to obey the law of the Spirit. No, you're actually uh, expected to submit to it, if you will. And we'll see that as we go along. So just because the word law is used, it's not referring to the need for obedience. Now notice the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It is clear as you look at the rest of the passage that it is talking about the Holy Spirit, especially in verses 9 through 11. Uh, Let me read those to you. Yeah, I didn't put them there, so but but it's right here. So, verse nine: You, how, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, since the spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies uh, to life through His Spirit who lives in you. And again, like I say, we'll look at that in a couple weeks. But whole point being is the law of the Spirit is referring to the law of the principle of operation because the Holy Spirit uh, lives in you. So notice letter C, the Holy Spirit gives power. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the Holy Ghost, it says in the King James, and you shall be witnesses unto me. It's not, you know, you, you could be a witness. No, you, you're going to be a witness. Why? Because he is going to so radically change you that people are going to see it. Okay, that's the idea. Now, you can walk in the Spirit and people are going to see it, or you can walk according to your own reason and uh, that light is going to shine a whole lot dimmer. But if you got the Spirit of God in you, something's going to be different, okay? So, uh, and he, not only does the Spirit give power, but he energizes spiritual life and he makes me free. Okay, uh, verse 11 there of chapter 8, and if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and if you're born again, he does, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. Now notice, again, this concept of present or future. Mortal bodies. How long do you have a mortal body? Nope. Yeah. Until we die. As long as you're alive. He's going to give life to that, this. Okay? So when we understand it, he is energizing this so that it can actually live the way God wants me to live. We'll get more into that, Lord willing, next week. And therefore, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. Okay? I do not, as a born-again believer have to submit to the law of sin. Now, that doesn't mean I don't. Okay, Wednesday night, I, I was telling you this morning, uh, it's complaining. Complaining is a, a spiritual fruit, right? Well, it is. It's just not a good spirit. <laughs> okay, it's not, it's not the fruit of the spirit. Uh, but yeah, I, I was complaining. Law of sin in my members, right? And God said, oh yeah, watch this. Deluge. I mean, I, I was soaked by the time I got to the truck, and I was like at the tailgate, you know. So it uh, it just poured on me, and it, it was kind of funny afterwards. But 
Not at the moment. <laughs> okay, so uh, the word for made me free here is eleuthero, uh, to liberate, to exempt, to deliver, to make free. So therefore, believers, by submitting to a higher divine law that bestows life, can overcome the lower law of sin and death. Uh, Galatians 2.19, For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. Now, we use uh, the tower very often when we're talking about law because we think of the law of gravity. If you step off the tower, the law of gravity uh, comes into effect, and boom, you fall very, very quickly, break bones, get hurt, and uh, I imagine that tree probably stab you a few times on your way through it. Uh, But there's other laws, higher laws, uh, have you ever seen the, since Iron Man came out, uh, they've been trying to recreate uh, a suit, something like that. So they got this guy that he's got uh, two thrusters on each side of his wrist, and he turns it on and starts flying. And they actually have gone from boat to boat in the Navy and stuff like that. That's uh, the idea of thrust, Okay, the law of thrust, it puts out enough thrust that it lifts his body so that gravity no longer has effect. Well, that's the same idea here. The law of the spirit is like the thrust, and it makes me free. It liberates me. It overcomes the law of sin and death or like gravity. Okay, uh, so that, that's the, uh, the picture that we're given here. And so that brings us to letter C how you're free. We've talked about why you're free, how you're free, substitution in verse 3. This is a definitive statement of substitutionary atonement. Again, the word for carries the idea of because. It leads to the reason for what was just stated, the ability of the law. The law can provoke sin in men. Uh, Romans uh, 5.20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Think about that. The law entered so that sin might abound. It's kind of like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. God wanted more sin? No, the law was pointing out what they were already doing was sin. Now they know that they are, are sinning, okay? Uh, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Uh, Chapter 7 and verse 8. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire, for apart from the law, sin was dead. So sin, uh, the law, excuse me, uh, the law can provoke sin in men. It also can bring the knowledge of sin. Uh, Romans 3.20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Chapter 7, where he says, I didn't know until I saw that the law said, Thou shalt not covet, and then I found myself coveting, and therefore found myself to be dead. So it's through the law was the knowledge of sin. And notice the law can also condemn them for it. Chapter 2, verse 12, For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. And then, of course, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. And again, more than just the concept of physical death, uh, because if physical death paid the wage of sin, 
everyone's going to physically die, everyone would go to heaven. But, of course, that is not the case. So the law can, but through the law, uh, excuse me, though the law is holy, righteous, and good, you'll see that in chapter 7, verse 12, it could not save them from its penalty. Uh, Galatians 3.10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which were written in the book of the law to do them. Uh, again, social media, I see these groups of people that talk about, um, you know, going back to under the law. And you're not allowed to eat bacon. Kind of like, you know, if that's the worst sin I'm doing, my wife always says that, if that's the worst thing I'm doing, <laughs> uh, the reality is, is look, if you're going to try and fulfill the law, you have to live by every single bit of it and then understand it's not just the external, but the internal heart of the issue that is really the problem. And yet these people who think they're Christians are trying to resubmit themselves to it. No, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which were written in the book of the law to do them. Galatians 3.21, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given, which could have given eternal life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. If there was a way that you could do something to become righteous in God's sight, then the, the law would have done it. But it doesn't. It can't. It points out that you can't. Uh, so those are important concepts to understand. Notice also, the inability came because it was weak. The law was weak through the flesh. Now you'll notice on the notes here, uh, the, the law was weak through the sinful corruption of the flesh. Uh, again, this is one of those things where we really need to understand our complete inability, even after salvation, our complete inability to do anything. Jesus said it. Without me, you can do nothing. We have the tendency to think, okay, I'm saved now. I'm not doing some of the stuff I used to do. And therefore, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I've never gone into a school and shot up people. I've never, I've never, no, 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 no. You, at because of the law of sin, still are unable, unable, incapable of living the way God wants you to live. And so therefore, uh, because of the sinful corruption of the flesh, notice that, of the flesh, the weakness of the flesh, not um, because your body is a bad thing, it's because it's got this law of sin in it. So what the law could not do, God did. Let me read a few verses for you. And by him... Everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Hmm. Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. Hebrews 10.10. 10, by, uh, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, uh, verse 14, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Whole point being is God is the one that did what was necessary so that we could finally live in a way that was pleasing to him. How did he do it? Well, letter A, by sending his own son. 
So, uh, I, again, scanning multi, uh, social media, and I come upon this video where they're talking about Jesus had two parents, Joseph and Mary. And uh, I, when I see those, I, I don't spend a lot of time watching them because it's kind of like, okay, you've started with the wrong presupposition, and you're going to come to the wrong conclusion, Right. Uh, the reality is, is if sin, if Jesus had two parents, they were both human, then Jesus could not die for your sins, which means you're still in your sins, and there is no possible salvation for anyone because the law only lets us know we've blown it and then condemns us. Wow. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, we come back here. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. In other words, he was human. He had a human body. Uh, John 6.51 says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And obviously he is speaking in picturesque terminology, he does not expect anybody to eat. In fact, in this very chapter, he says anyone who believes will have eternal life. And now he's saying if anyone eats my flesh, they will have eternal life. So what do you think eating the flesh means? Believing. But you're believing it so much that it's like you consumed something and it's become a part of you. And this is where so many miss it. Okay, They believe intellectually, but it doesn't make that much of an effect on their life. So he comes in the likeness of sinful flesh. Likeness means in the outward appearance of. So this is dealing with the fact that he is 100% human. Uh, sinful flesh, yet he is without sin. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. I find it amazing that Mo, uh, Muhammad is mentioned four times in the Quran. And I believe it's three of the four times he is dealing with some sinful choice that he has made. Jesus is mentioned 11 times in the Quran. And as far as the Quran teaches, Jesus was sinless. Now, they won't give in to the concept that he died for sin. They definitely aren't going to get into the concept of he rose again. Okay, They do believe that he ascended into heaven, but he didn't die. Um, they don't believe that he was virgin born, but then how do you be sinless? Uh, a lot of nonsense in, in that. But it is amazing to me that Muhammad is not sinless and Jesus is. It's kind of like, hey guys, you're close. <laughs> Take the, take the leap. If he's sinless, who is he? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so he is, of course, not only 100% human, he's 100% God. Uh, notice he, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of, or some versions translate it, mine did, as an offering for sin. Hebrews 9.28, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And for anyone who gets hung up on the idea of the second coming, uh, the first coming, uh, how many comings were talked about in the Old Testament? Well, looking back, we now say two. One. 
They, they expected, they saw the two possible Messiah concepts, one that would die, one that would reign forever. They liked this one better. So they didn't care for that one. But they expected one coming. So now we're expecting a second coming. How many times is that second coming going to happen? Yeah, within the second coming, there are two appearances, one in the sky, one to the ground. So we are waiting for his return, uh, regardless of whether or not you understand a pre-tribulational rapture, which again, that's a minority opinion, by the way, or understanding of Scripture. So uh, he is 100% God. Uh, notice he had to be fully human and sinless, and he became sin for us as a sacrifice for sin. And I've already given you 2 Corinthians 5.21. So he did, uh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of or as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. The law once condemned the believer... But now Christ the Savior condemns sin, delivering the believer from sin's power and penalty. Uh, the reality is, is once again, since we have to grow in Christ, and as we grow in Christ, we gain strength and understanding and wisdom, and we learn how to overcome the sinful uh, habits that we were a part of. Uh, our little Ida May saw a little picture, a video of her today sitting on the couch, and she's just kind of like the, you know, okay, I don't know why she didn't just get up and start walking around, right? Because she's two months old, that's why. Will she get up and walk around sometime in the future? Uh-huh. And when they do, they're going to have to lock all the cabinets and all that kind of stuff. See, uh, our spiritual growth happens the same way. Uh, we have been freed from the power of sin. And when do we actually put that into practice? Usually not in, uh, immediately, right? We have to grow up a little bit. And as we grow up, then we start seeing those victories, uh, the things that we talk about. So um, we see here that uh, the, he has uh, delivered the believers from sin's power and, of course, penalty. Uh, we really like the idea that he delivered us from its penalty, uh, we, we, in fact, we like that so much that we emphasize that Jesus died for my sins. Go to the scripture. What does the scripture emphasize? He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. We'll see that as we go along in the book of Romans. Uh, so that's pretty important. But because he rose from the dead, we're going to see in a couple weeks, that's why we have power over the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus delivers me from the law of sin and death. So that brings us to letter D, the result of freedom, sanctification. Verse 4, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Notice, apart from the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, man's effort in righteousness is as filthy rags. Isaiah uh, 64, 6, as soon as I find it, there it is. But we all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So whole point, it's not a matter of us doing right. It's a, a sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Letter B, salvation brings a new nature, a new spirit, the Holy Spirit, all 
in order that, okay, that the, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. That's the idea there. Second Corinthians 5.15, and that he died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. First Thessalonians 5.10, who died for us that whether we wake, we're alive, or sleep, we're dead, we should live together with him. First Peter 4.2, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. So the, uh, the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. That's why he died. So in order that uh, we could fulfill the law. Now, when we talk about fulfilling the law, once again, are we talking about the 613 Levitical laws? No. Let's take a look here. Romans 13, 8 and 9. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Or Galatians 5.14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. James 2, 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. So when we talk about the righteous requirements of the law, Jesus narrowed the law down to two. Love God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And the scripture says, if you love your neighbor, you've loved God. Therefore, the righteous requirements uh, might be fulfilled in us uh, because of the work of the Spirit uh, in us. Number two, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Uh, again, this is not an admonition, but a statement of fact. If you walk according to the Spirit, if you're saved, you're going to love your brother. In fact, John goes so far as to say in 1 John that if you say you love your brother, uh, if you say you love God and you hate your brother whom you can see, how can you love God whom you can't see? Whole point being is, that again, this whole concept of walking according to the Spirit is you're born again. So it's not an admonition, you should love your brother. It's a statement of fact, you're born again, you are going to walk according to the Spirit. The word walk here is peripateo, to tread all around, to walk at large, to live, to deport or uh, comport oneself, uh, to follow, to go, to be occupied with. Uh, it refers to a habitual way of life. So the people who do not walk according to the flesh, the habitual way of life for them is flesh. That's the realm in which they live. For the people that are saved, they walk according to the Spirit. This is the realm in which they operate. They're born again, okay? So to uh, walk according to in the realm of is expanded over the next seven verses. We're going to see how he lays this out. Walking according to the flesh looks like this. Walking according to the spirit looks like this. And when you see this description, it's not talking about a fleshly Christian. It's talking about unbelievers compared to believers. Okay. 
So notice, for believers, the Spirit of God dwells in them. We already saw that in verse 9. Uh, they have been baptized into the body of Christ. Uh, we saw that earlier uh, when we became part of the body. They now live in the realm of the Spirit, not that they are always walking in the Spirit. Okay? Uh, we worry about the contradiction when we've blown it. No, no. Blowing it doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means you're walking in the flesh. If you're saved, you're saved. And if you're saved, it doesn't mean you're not going to walk in the flesh, but you're not going to walk according to the flesh. Notice uh, for unbelievers, they walk according to the lusts of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. Ephesians 2, 2 and 3 in which uh, you, you, speaking to believers, once walked according to the course of this world. So we see that according to the course of the world. Uh, what does that mean? According to the prince of the power of the air, that spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. Who is that spirit? It's Satan. So when, when, when we weren't saved, we were actually following Satan. We weren't just good unbelievers, we were doing the will of our Father. Oh, be careful. People don't like that. But that's what it says, okay? Uh, notice the second one, the prince of the power of the air. That's the spirit uh, that's now working in the sons of disobedience. But verse 3 goes on to say, uh, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. Now, again, so often as Christians, we look at lust of our flesh and we think sexual immorality and all that kind of stuff. Sure, it includes that. But there are plenty of unbelievers that that is not the problem in their life. The desires that they have. I want to be the CEO. I, I'm willing to work uh, 80 hours a week, lose my family, my wife, my kids can all die and go to hell. It really doesn't matter because I've got to fulfill this lust of my flesh. So it can show itself in a lot of different ways, uh, but it goes on to say, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath just as others. So uh, when we talk about walking according to the Spirit, according to the flesh, we're talking about um, the realm in which they operate. If you are in Christ, you are in the realm of the Spirit, in the realm of Christ, in the spiritual realm, and there is no condemnation. Why? Because God already took care of all that by sending His Son to live that perfect life and to die for sins. In so doing, we are free from sin's power and its penalty. We'll figure this one out as we go along, but it's a statement of fact. Okay? If you're walking according to the flesh, not in the flesh, you're not saved. Condemnation? Yeah, that, that's still hanging over you. That's why you hear pastor toward the end of the message. Look, if, you, if you're here today and you don't know for certain, why? Because the one who doesn't believe, they are condemned already. It's, it's just waiting to be worked out. It's already on them. And so... Like always, we always invite those people, you know, don't leave here today uh, without it. I think that's State Farm. No, uh, no. <laughs> uh, whole point being is, if you're a believer, no condemnation. If you're not, you have to take care of that. Well, you have to come to Christ because that's the only way that's taken care of. Okay? Questions or thoughts? Yes? 
Always. Mm hmm. Yep. Uh, the giving or loss of, yeah. Uh, obviously, they can't be in the sense of condemnation because that's already been taken care of. The way I understand it, and again, this is one of those passages, First uh, Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15, Paul says, as a master builder, he laid the foundation. The foundation is Christ, okay? And there's no other foundation to build upon. So therefore, you need to be careful what you build with on that foundation. He says you can build with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and stubble. Now, a lot of people think that passage is talking to preachers. I don't. The reason why I don't is there are too many other passages that talk, look, you've been saved to serve God. Okay? Uh, Whether you eat, you eat unto God. Whether you don't eat, you don't eat unto God. Whether you live, you live unto God. Whether you die, you die unto God. Romans 14, right? And, and that's not the only passage that talks about that. So the whole point being is everything you do is now that the sacrifice unto God at that moment. So when you sin, that's your sacrifice unto God at that moment. What kind of sacrifice is that sin? It's wood, hay, and stubble. It's going to be tested by fire, and we're going to see the value that it had. Worthless. It's going to burn up. When you, in submission to the Spirit, go and talk to someone about Jesus, uh, come alongside a fellow believer and comfort those who mourn, uh, make peace between two people that got a problem because the Spirit of God said, look, you know both of these people. Uh, It's not that you want to get in the middle of their fight, but maybe you can help them get past some of this stuff. Those are things that the Spirit of God has instigated. He empowers, and that's going to be gold, silver, and precious stone. And so uh, the loss of reward is those things that when you're tempted, you have a choice, don't you? I can serve God or serve me. (laughs) Oh, uh, sorry about that. (laughs) When you serve me, yeah, wood, hay, and stubble, therefore no value. You lost the reward that you could have earned. If you had chosen God, there would have been a reward. But you chose you, so you lost it. Because it's only what goes through the fire and comes out the other side that shows the value of your life that you're rewarded for. And, and again, I, I understand that 1 Corinthians 3 is one of those arguable passages. I don't think it's that unclear. I think it's very clear. I don't think he's talking to just preachers because in the context, he's saying we all ought to be doing it. So, yeah, as believers, uh, he, he died that those who live might not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. So, yes, the sin that we chose, it burns up. Uh, we will have already suffered the consequences or the chastisement for it in this life but there's no reward given for that. But. Uh Uh-huh. And see, I think at that point, now you've done what God told you to do, what eternal value does it have? Well, it glorifies him because it shows that you're you're getting yourself back in that uh, uh, part of submission. So is there actually going to be a reward for it? I, I don't know. But, but I do know that it'll be gold, silver, precious stone, so it looks like there would be. So, 
Well, the sin will have been the loss. The repentance and confession, there may actually be reward for. And I say may actually because, boy, I wish God had made that one a little bit clearer. <laughs> yes, ma'am. And so you suffer a break in that relationship, in that fellowship. So you're, you're not living the eternal life, even though you have it. You're not living it at that moment. I came that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. When we're walking in the Spirit and we're doing what God wants to do, we're experiencing abundant life. Uh, when we walk in the flesh, yeah, we're experiencing the disconnect. Yeah, you haven't physically died. No, you're not going to hell, but you're not experiencing life either. And again, Romans 6.23, we used, use it to explain to unbelievers the wages of sin, but the reality is, is uh, it's talking to believers about whether they're going to um, mortify the deeds of the flesh and uh, submit their members unto obedience, unto righteousness, or unto sin, and therefore unto death. Hmm. But we do that a lot. We use scriptures that are talking to believers and point them towards unbelievers. The truth is still there. It's just that's not what the verse is saying in context. So, well, let's close in prayer. Yes, Sam. Yeah, and we're not really asking God for forgiveness. We're confessing. We're agreeing with him that what I just did was sin. Thank you for the forgiveness that I have in Christ Jesus. Lord, cleanse me. You've already said you would. I'm asking you, change my heart. You know that uh, song, change my heart, oh God. That's kind of what confession is all about. We're, we're going to him and saying, yeah, you're right. And I fell, why? Because I got my eyes off of you, got them on me. And there I is again. So change me. So when it says that he remembers no more, mm -hmm. when you brought before God, as he had said in his question, accountable in the sense that it's going to burn up, not in the sense of condemnation, because you know he knows everything you've done. I I, I don't know about you, but as I've gotten older in the Lord. I'm not doing a lot of the bad things I used to do, but my internal attitude at times, kind of like, oh, Lord. You know, like I say, just complaining the other day about the rain. And I still laugh at it because it was, oh, yeah, you want rain? I'll give you rain. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we're, we're, there's no condemnation. You're never going to be held accountable for sin because Jesus already paid the price. Now you are... That's your sacrifice. And God's going to look at it and go, no, 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 that one wasn't a very good sacrifice. Burns up. No good. So, all right, let's close in prayer. And uh, Lynn and I next week, are, our kids have paid for us to go on a little vacation, so we will miss you next Sunday. Uh, but we'll, Lord willing, be back the following Sunday. Well, I, they just... Hey, uh, Dad, we got the money here. <laughs> uh, that kind of a thing. So uh, we're going to go down to the Keys and uh, spend a few days in the sun, and I'll be redder than I am now. How's that sound? <laughs> She'll be darker. Yeah, she looks like an a Indian, and I'll come home like a lobster that's been boiled. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Father, again, we thank you for your love and care for us. Thank you now for this time together, for your word. And, Lord, uh, in these areas where we're not totally clear, 
sometimes we're not clear because you haven't revealed. Sometimes uh, we need enlightenment. So we would ask, Lord, that you might open our eyes and give us understanding. And that um, when, when we don't know, that we just know that you know, you got it right, and you'll do what you're going to do. In the meantime, pray, Lord, that you would give us grace to not only understand the things that we're learning here, uh, but that we would be able to, by your grace, put them into uh, effect as we walk day by day with you, that your Spirit would empower us to live a life that is honoring and pleasing to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.